Section 36 of The Great Events by Famous Historians, Volume 6. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Colleen McMahon. The Great Events by Famous Historians, Volume 6. Edited by Charles F. Horn, Rossiter Johnson, and John Rudd. The Sicilian Vespers, A.D. 1282, by Michel Amari. Under Frederick II, Emperor of the Holy Roman Empire, Sicily had been governed wisely. His son Conrad succeeded him as King of Sicily in 1250, but went to Germany, where his crown was being contested by William of Holland, leaving his illegitimate brother Manfred to administer Sicily. Conrad and his brother Henry died in 1254. Manfred continued to rule Sicily as regent for his nephew Conradine, son of Conrad, but in 1258, upon a rumor of Conradine's death, assumed the crown. Pope Alexander IV and his successor Urban IV, a Frenchman, would not recognize Manfred as ruler. Urban offered the Sicilian crown to a brother of Louis IX of France, Charles, Count of Anjou who promised to hold Sicily as a fief of the Holy See. Charles was compelled to conquer his new kingdom, and with a large army of Frenchmen invaded Sicily. Manfred was defeated and slain in a sanguinary battle at Grandella, near Benevento, and Charles soon made himself master of the kingdom. Young Conradine was still living, but was defeated at Tagliacazzo in 1268, and was beheaded at Naples by order of Charles. The French earned the scarcely veiled hatred of the Sicilians by their tyranny and cruelties, and a conspiracy arose to give the crown to Pedro, king of Aragon, who had married Constance, daughter of Manfred. Charles of Anjou was not ignorant of the fact that his throne was in danger, nor was he totally unprepared. The overthrow of the French power in Sicily, however, was precipitated by an incident at Palermo on Easter Monday, the 30th of March, 1282, which led to the wholesale massacre known to history as the Sicilian Vespers because of its commencement at the hour of Vespers. The Sicilians endured the French yoke, though cursing it, until the spring of 1282. The military preparations of the King of Aragon were not yet completed, nor, even if partially known in Sicily, could they inspire any immediate hope. The people were overawed by the immense armaments of Charles destined against Constantinople, and 42 royal castles, either in principal cities or in situations of great natural strength, served to keep the island in check. A still greater number were held by French feudatories. The standing troops were collected and in arms, and the feudal militia, composed in great part of foreign subfeudatories, waited only the signal to assemble. In such a posture of affairs, which the foresight of the prudent would never have selected for an outbreak, the officers of Charles continued to grind down the Sicilian people, satisfied that their patience would endure forever. New outrages shed a gloom over the festival of Easter at Palermo, the ancient capital of the kingdom, detested by the strangers more than any other city as being the strongest and the most deeply injured. Messina was the seat of the king's viceroy in Sicily, Herbert of Orléans. Palermo was governed by the justiciary of Val de Mazzara, 
john of st remigio a minister worthy of charles his subalterns worthy both of the justiciary and of the king had recently launched out into fresh acts of rapine and violence but the people submitted it even went so far that the citizens of palermo seeking comfort from god amid their worldly tribulations and having entered a church to pray in that very church on the days sacred to the memory of the saviour's passion and amid the penitential rites were exposed to the most cruel outrages the band-dogs of the exchequer searched out among them those who had failed in the payment of the taxes dragged them forth from the sacred edifice manacled and bore them to prison crying out insultingly before the multitude attracted to the spot pay fatterini pay and the people still submitted the monday after easter which fell on the thirtieth of march there was a festival at the church of santo spirito on that occasion a heinous outrage against the liberties of the sicilians afforded the impulse and the patience of the people gave way half a mile from the southern wall of the city on the brink of the ravine of Oreto, stands a church dedicated to the holy ghost concerning which the latin fathers have not failed to record that on the day on which the first stone of it was laid in the twelfth century the sun was darkened by an eclipse on one side of it were the precipice and the river on the other the plain extending to the city which in the present day is in great part divided by walls and dotted with gardens while a square enclosure of moderate size shaded by dusky cypresses honeycombed with tombs and adorned with urns and other sepulchral monuments surrounds the church this is a public cemetery laid out toward the end of the eighteenth century and fearfully filled in three weeks by the dire pestilence which devastated sicily in eighteen thirty seven on the tuesday following easter at the hour of vespers religion and custom drew crowds of people to this cheerful plain then carpeted with the flowers of spring citizens wending their way toward the church divided into numerous groups they walked sat in clusters spread the tables or danced upon the grass and whether it were a defect or a merit of the sicilian character threw off for the moment the recollection of their sufferings suddenly the followers of the justiciary appeared among them and every bosom thrilled with a shudder of disgust the strangers came with their usual insolent demeanor as they said to maintain tranquillity and for this purpose they mingled with the groups joined in the dances and familiarly accosted the women pressing the hand of one taking unwarranted liberties with others addressing indecent words and gestures to those more distant until some temperately admonished them to depart in god's name without insulting the women and others murmured angrily but the hot-blooded youths raised their voices so fiercely that the soldiers said to one another these insolent paterini must be armed that they dare thus to answer and replied to them with the most offensive insults insisting with great insolence on searching them for arms and even here and there striking them with sticks or thongs every heart already throbbed fiercely on either side when a young woman of singular beauty and of modest and dignified deportment appeared with her husband and relations bending her steps toward the church jouet a frenchman impelled either by insolence or license approached her 
as if to examine her for concealed weapons, seized her and searched her bosom. She fell fainting into her husband's arms, who, in a voice almost choked with rage, exclaimed, Death! Death to the French! At the same moment a youth burst from the crowd which had gathered round them, sprang upon Drouet, disarmed and slew him, and probably at the same moment paid the penalty by the loss of his own life, leaving his name unknown and the mystery forever unsolved, whether it were love for the injured woman, the impulse of a generous heart, or the more exalted flame of patriotism that prompted him thus to give the signal of deliverance. Noble example has a power far beyond that of argument or eloquence to rouse the people, and the erstwhile abject slaves awoke at length from their long bondage. Death, death to the French, they cried, and the cry, say the historians of the time, re-echoed like the voice of God through the whole country and found an answer in every heart. Above the corpse of Drouet were heaped those of the slain on either side. The crowd expanded itself, closed in, and swayed hither and thither in wild confusion. The Sicilians, with sticks, stones, and knives, rushed with desperate ferocity upon their fully armed opponents. They sought for them and hunted them down. Fearful tragedies were enacted amid the preparations for festivity, and the overthrown tables were drenched with blood. The people displayed their strength and conquered. The struggle was brief and great the slaughter of the Sicilians, but of the French there were two hundred, and two hundred fell. Breathless, covered with blood, brandishing the plundered weapons, and proclaiming the insult and its vengeance, the insurgents rushed toward the tranquil city. Death to the French, they shouted, and as many as they found were put to the sword. The example, the words, the contagion of passion, in an instant aroused the whole people. In the heat of the tumult, Roger Mastrangelo, a nobleman, was chosen, or constituted himself, their leader. The multitude continued to increase. Dividing into troops, they scoured the streets, burst open doors, searched every nook, every hiding place, and shouting, Death to the French, smote them and slew them while those too distant to strike added to the tumult by their applause. On the outbreak of this sudden uproar, the justiciary had taken refuge in his strong palace. The next moment it was surrounded by an enraged multitude crying aloud for his death. They demolished the defenses and rushed furiously in, but the justiciary escaped them. Favored by the confusion and the closing darkness, he succeeded, though wounded in the face, in mounting his horse unobserved, with only two attendants, and fled with all speed. Meanwhile the slaughter continued with increased ferocity. Even the darkness of night failed to arrest it, and it was resumed the next day more furiously than ever. Nor did it finally cease because the thirst for vengeance was slaked, but because victims were wanting to appease it. Two thousand French perished in this first outbreak. Even Christian burial was denied them, but pits were afterward dug to receive their despised remains, and tradition still points out a column surmounted by an iron cross, raised by compassionate piety on one of these spots, probably long after the perpetration of the deed of vengeance. Tradition, moreover, relates that the sound of a word, 
like the shibboleth of the hebrews was the cruel test by which the french were distinguished in the massacre and that if there were found a suspicious or unknown person he was compelled with a sword to his throat to pronounce the word chichiri and the slightest foreign accent was the signal for his death forgetful of their own character and as if stricken by fate the gallant warriors of france neither fled nor united nor defended themselves they unsheathed their swords and presented them to their assailants imploring as if in emulation of each other to be the first to die of one common soldier it is recorded that having concealed himself behind a wainscot and being dislodged at the sword's point he resolved not to die unavenged and springing forth with a wild cry upon the ranks of his enemies slew three of them before he himself perished the insurgents broke into the convents of the minorites and preaching friars and slaughtered all the monks whom they recognized as french even the altars afforded no protection tears and prayers were alike unheeded neither old men women nor infants were spared the ruthless avengers of the ruthless massacre of augusta swore to root out the seed of the french oppressors throughout the whole of sicily and this vow they cruelly fulfilled slaughtering infants at their mothers breasts and after them the mothers themselves not sparing even pregnant women but with a horrible refinement of cruelty ripping up the bodies of sicilian women who were with child by french husbands and dashing against the stones the fruit of the mingled blood of the oppressors and the oppressed this general massacre of all who spoke the same language and these heinous acts of cruelty have caused the sicilian vespers to be classed among the most infamous of national crimes the very atrocity of the vespers proved the salvation of sicily by cutting off all possibility of compromise on that same blood-stained night of the thirty-first of march the people of palermo assembled in parliament and divided between the triumph of vengeance and terror at their own daring act advanced still more decidedly in the path they had chosen they abolished monarchy and resolved to establish a commonwealth under the protection of the church of rome they were moved to this determination by deadly hatred against charles and his government and the recollection of the stern rule of the swabian dynasty on the one hand and on the other by grateful remembrance of the liberty enjoyed in twelve fifty four by the example of the tuscan and lombard republics and by the natural pride of a powerful city which having freed itself from a detested yoke confided in its own strength the name of the church was added in order to disarm the wrath of the pope to tempt his ambition or to justify the rebellion under the pretext that in driving out their more immediate but criminal ruler they contemplated no infraction of loyalty to the suzerain from whom he held his power roger mastrangelo henry barisi and nicoloso of ordeleva knights and nicolo of ebdemonia were proclaimed captains of the people with five councillors by the glare of torchlight on the bloody ground amid the noise and throng of the armed multitude and with all the sublime pomp of tumult the republican magistrates were inaugurated trumpets and moorish kettle-drums sounded and thousands upon thousands of voices uttered the joyous cry the republic and liberty the ancient banner of the city 
a golden eagle in a red field, was unfolded to wave amid new glories, and in homage to the church the keys of St. Peter were quartered upon it. At midnight, John of St. Remigio stayed his rapid flight at Vicari, a castle thirty miles distant from the capital, where, knocking loudly and hurriedly, he was with difficulty recognized by the garrison, half drunk from the celebration of the same festival which had bred so fearful a slaughter in Palermo. Having admitted him, they were transfixed with amazement at seeing their justiciary at so unreasonable an hour, unescorted, breathless, and covered with blood. John refused all explanation at the time, but the next morning at daybreak he called to arms all the French of the neighborhood, a feudal militia well inured to warfare, and breaking silence urged them to resist, and perhaps to avenge, the fate of their comrades. It was not long before the forces of Palermo, which had set out at dawn in pursuit of the fugitive, whose traces they had discovered, arrived at full speed beneath the walls of Vicari, and surrounded the city in disorder, impatient for the assault, but not perceiving how it was to be made, they had recourse to threats, and demanded immediate surrender, promising to the inhabitants the safety of their persons, and to John and his followers' permission, on laying down their arms, to embark for Egmort in Provence. They, however, disdaining such conditions, and regarding the mob of assailants with contempt, made a vigorous sortie. At first, military discipline obtained the advantage, and the Sicilians gave way, but the tide of battle was turned by a power beyond that of human skill, by the spirit which had given birth to the Vespers, and which suddenly blazed up again in the scattered squadrons. They paused, they looked at one another, death, death to the French, they cried, and rushing upon them with irresistible fury, they drove back the veteran warriors into the fortress, defeated and in confusion. After this, it was in vain that the French proposed terms of surrender. Heedless of the rules of war, the young archers of Cacamo shot the justiciary as he presented himself upon the walls, and, seeing him fall, the whole multitude rushed to the assault, occupied the fortress, put the garrison to the sword, and flung their corpses piecemeal to the dogs and to the vultures. This done, the host returned to Palermo. Meanwhile, the fame of what had occurred spread rapidly from town to town, and the first in that neighborhood to rise was Corleone, as chief in population and importance, and also because of its numerous Lombard inhabitants, who held the name of Angevins and Guelphs in abhorrence, and of the intolerable burdens imposed upon it by the near neighborhood of the royal farms. This city, afterwards surnamed the Valiant, boldly followed the example of the capital, sent William Basso, William Corto, and Giuglione de Moraldo as orators to Palermo, to propose terms of alliance and fraternity between the two cities, mutual assistance in arms, forces, and money, reciprocal privileges of citizenship, and enfranchisement from all burdens laid upon such as were not citizens. It is not known whether the idea of the League originated with the Republican rulers of Palermo or with the patriots of Corleone, but whichever may have been the case, it clearly exhibits the preponderance in those early days of the municipal tendency, 
and the exchange of feudal relations for the federal union of communities the banner under which the revolution spread itself throughout the entire island the assembled people of palermo with one voice accepted the terms and by their desire on the third of april they were sworn to on the gospels by the captains and councillors of the city with the deputies of corleone and officially registered among the public acts palermo binding herself moreover to assist her ally in the destruction of the strong fortress of calatamaro meanwhile one boniface elected captain of the people of corleone went forth with three thousand men to scour the surrounding country the royal farms were plundered and devastated the herds which had been carefully fattened for the army of the east were confiscated to the service of the sicilian revolution the castles of the french were stormed their houses sacked and the massacre so ruthless that according to saba malaspina it seemed as if every man either had the death of a father son or brother to revenge or firmly believed that the slaughter of a frenchman was an act well pleasing to god thus in a very few days the movement propagated itself many miles around owing to the similarity of sentiments the force of example and the energy of the insurgents in many places it assumed a character which must be inexplicable to those who in spite of all that has been already stated would persist in regarding these tumultuous outbreaks as the result of conspiracy while the people showed the utmost readiness to put the foreigners to the sword yet they feared to disown the name of king charles their hesitation lasted but a few days for they were carried away by the impulse of universal feeling and by the strength of the rebels so that all by degrees declared themselves elected chiefs to lead their forces against the french and captains of the people whom they sent to the capital the fame of whose example had roused their courage and was now the centre of all their confidence of all their hopes this first nucleus of the representatives of the nation being thus assembled in palermo they became imbued with the same valour which in one short night had raised a popular tumult to the dignity of a revolution they were further encouraged by the manly energy of the people who mingled with insurgents from the surrounding towns traversed the city to and fro eagerly relating to one another the outrages they had suffered and crying aloud death rather than the yoke of the french so that no sooner were the syndics of the greater part of val de mazara assembled in parliament than they agreed to the establishment of the republican form of government conducted in the name of the church the people without responded with loud acclamations and shouts of the republic and liberty all encouraged each other to venture everything when roger mastrangelo bent on urging them on so far that all retreat should be cut off and that they might be able to control the course of events rose and boldly thus addressed the assembly citizens i hear daring words and solemn oaths but i see no symptoms of action as if the blood that has been shed were the seal of victory rather than the provocation of a long and deadly struggle do you know charles and his thousands of executioners and can you yet amuse yourselves with the decoration of banners not far distant on the mainland are armies and navies ready for the grecian war 
there are the french panting for vengeance and in a few days they will burst upon us if they find our ports open for their disembarkation if our inertness or our faults favor their progress they will soon spread throughout the whole of sicily they will subdue the irresolute people by force of arms deceive them with reports of our unhappy divisions seduce them with promises and drag them back to the shameful yoke of bondage or drive them to raise their parasitical weapons against ourselves you have sworn to die or to be free and you will become slaves and will not all die for the butchers will at length be weary and will reserve the herd of survivors to exercise upon them their despotic will sicilians remember the days of conradine to halt now will be destruction to pursue our course glory and deliverance our forces are sufficient to raise the whole country as far as messina and messina must not belong to the foe we share the same origin the same language the same past glory and present shame the same experience that slavery and misery are the result of division all sicily is stained with the blood of the strangers she is strong in the courage of her sons in the ruggedness of her mountains in the protection of the seas which are her bulwarks who then shall set foot upon her soil except to find in it a yawning grave christ who preached liberty to mankind who inspired you to effect this blessed deliverance now extends to you his almighty hand if you will but act like men in your own defence citizens captains of the people it is my counsel that messengers be sent to all the other towns inviting them to unite with us for the maintenance of the commonwealth that by force of arms by daring and by rapidity of action we should aid the weak determine the doubtful and combat the froward for this purpose let us divide into three bands which may simultaneously traverse the whole island then let a general parliament mature our councils unite our views and regulate the form of government for i call god to witness that palermo aspires not to dominion but seeks only liberty for all and for herself the glory of being foremost in peril and the people of corleone replied boniface will follow the fortunes of this noble city the fortress and ornament of sicily corleone sends hither three thousand of her warriors to conquer or to die with you but if our fate be to perish let all those perish with us who would take part with the stranger in the day of the deliverance of sicily thou roger valiant in fight and sage in council thou hast spoken words of safety henceforward he who lingers is a traitor to his country let us arm ourselves and go forth forward forward thundered the voice of the people in answer to his words and with marvellous celerity the messengers were dispatched the forces assembled and sent forth in three divisions one to the left toward cefalu one to the right upon calatafimi and the third toward the centre of the island through castro giovanni they displayed the banner of the commonwealth with the keys of st peter depicted around them and their fame went before them awakening hope and desire in all hearts hence every city and town unhesitatingly renounced allegiance to charles with a degree of unity which was admirable except in regard to the slaughter of the french they were hunted down in the mountains and forests assaulted and vanquished in the castles and pursued with such fury 
that even to those who had escaped from the hands of the Sicilians, life became a burden, and from the most impregnable fortresses, from the remotest hiding places, they gave themselves up into the hands of the people who summoned them to die. Some even precipitated themselves from the towers of their strongholds. A very few, aided either by fortune or by their own valor, escaped with their lives, but were despoiled of everything, and these sought refuge in Messina. But the fate of William Porcelet merits special remembrance. He was lord or governor of Calatafimi, and, amid the unbridled iniquity of his countrymen, was distinguished for justice and humanity. On the day of vengeance, in the full flush of its triumph and fury, the Palermitan host appeared at Calatafimi, and not only spared the life of William and of his family, but treated him with distinguished honor and sent him back to Provence a fact which goes to prove that for the excesses committed by the people, ample provocation had not been wanting. Meanwhile, the great object toward which every effort was directed was to gain over Messina to the cause of the revolution, for all comprehended the importance of her situation, of her seaport, and of the powerful and wealthy city herself, obviously marked out as the keystone of the war, as well as the pressing necessity of obtaining her alliance or of making a desperate effort to subdue her by force of arms. Negotiations were therefore commenced. Of those which were private and the most efficacious, no record has been handed down to us. But of those publicly conducted, a letter is still extant, dated from Palermo the 13th of April, and dispatched by messengers to Messina, which begins thus. The Palermitans, to the noble citizens of the illustrious city of Messina, bondsmen under Pharaoh in dust and mire, greeting and deliverance from the servile yoke by the arm of liberty. Rise, continues the epistle, rise, O daughter of Zion, and reassert thy former strength. Cease thy lamentations, which only awaken contempt. Take thy weapons, thy quiver and thy bow, and unbind the fetters from thy neck. It proceeds to speak of Charles as a Nero, a wolf, a lion, and a ferocious dragon. Then, reverting to Messina, it exclaims, The voice of God says to thee, Take up thy bed and walk, for thou art whole. And again it exhorts her citizens to struggle with the old serpent, and being regenerate, like newborn babes, to suck the milk of liberty, to seek justice, and to fly from calamity and ignominy. While the Palermitans sought to gain over the citizens by these biblical metaphors, Herbert of Orléans strengthened himself with foreign arms and with the support of the Messinese nobles, who by abuses and oppression had exalted themselves above their fellow citizens, and therefore now resolutely sided with the vicar. But first he sent seven Messinese galleys to attack Palermo under the command of Richard de Riso who in 1268 had dared with a few vessels to confront the whole peasant fleet, and who was now to lose in civil war his honor as a citizen and his reputation as a leader. For uniting with four galleys from Amalfi under the command of Matthew del Guidici and Roger of Salerno, he proceeded to blockade the port of Palermo, and, as he was unable to effect anything else, approached the walls and caused the name of Charles to be shouted aloud, together with insults and menaces to the citizens. They, however, with the long-suffering of conscious strength, 
replied that they would neither return the insults nor his blows the messanese and the palermitans were brothers the french oppressors their only enemies and they would do better to turn their arms against the tyrants with these words they hoisted the standard of the cross of messina upon the walls beside the eagle of palermo the city of messina or rather those who wielded the municipal authority in order to prove their loyalty on the fifteenth of april sent five hundred crossbowmen under the command of Chiriolo, a knight of messina to garrison taormina and prevent its occupation by the insurgents the people on the other hand felt their sicilian blood boil as they received the news of the rising in palermo and in the other cities of the progress of the insurgents through the island and of the slaughter and flight of the french heightened by many false or exaggerated reports and when they beheld the fugitives enter messina destitute and terror-stricken they began to murmur and show animosity against the soldiers of herbert these feeling themselves no longer safe in the city withdrew some to the castle of matagrafone some to the royal palace where herbert resided the latter in an evil hour decided on a display of energy he sent ninety horsemen under micheletto gatta to occupy the defences of taormina as if unable to repose confidence in the messanese garrison and the latter seeing them approach in such arrogant and almost hostile guise and incited by a citizen named bartholomew received them with a cry of insulting defiance and a shower of arrows the contest being thus engaged forty of the french remained on the field the rest fled precipitately for refuge to the castle of scaletta and the sicilians tearing down the banners of charles marched upon messina to compel her to join the rebellion in the city thousands were willing but none had courage for the work till a man of the people bartholomew maniscalco by name conspired with several others to give the signal of action meanwhile forces were preparing to repulse the insurgents from taormina and the more prudent of the citizens deplored the impending effusion of the blood of their brethren the people were on the alert nor did the conspirators hold back perhaps the entrance into the port of a palermitan galley and the slaughter by her crew of a few french who had fallen into their hands hastened the event it was the twenty eighth of april when from the midst of the tumultuous crowd broke forth the cries of death to the french death to those who side with them and the massacre commenced the victims however were but few as the previous threatening aspect of the people had cleared the city of the greater number of the french maniscalco meanwhile with his confederates hoisted the cross of messina in the place of the detested banner of anjou for a brief space he was captain of the people but owing either to his own modesty or to the influence of the more powerful citizens which always prevailed in the industrial city of messina that same night by their advice he resigned the government to baldwin musone a noble returned but a few hours before with matthew and baldwin de riso from the court of king charles on the following day the municipal council having been assembled in form musone was hailed captain by the entire people and calling on the sacred name of christ the republic was proclaimed under the protection of the church the gonfalon or great banner of the city was displayed with the utmost pomp the judges reynaldo de la Mogi and nicoloso saperito 
the historian Bartholomew of Neocastro and Peter Ancelone were elected as councillors of the new government, and all the public officers, even to the executioners, were likewise elected, as if to show that henceforward the sword of justice was to rule in place of disorder and violence. But it was yet too soon for so complete a revolution. On the 30th of April, the galleys were recalled from Palermo, whither messengers of friendship and alliance were dispatched in their stead. Herbert, feeling himself no longer secure in the castle, had recourse to the old maneuver of fomenting divisions, but with no better success. He dispatched Matthew, a member of the family of Riso, which, from consciousness of guilt, had allied itself with him, to endeavor to gain over Baldwin Musone. Matthew accordingly sought him, and in presence of all the other counsellors admonished him, using the arguments of a crooked policy, to reflect on the great power of the king, and that this insane tumult would deprive Messina of the advantages that would naturally accrue to her from the rebellion of Palermo. What were the Palermitans to him, that he should share their madness? In what had Charles injured him or his city? How is it possible, continued he, that thou, who wast but yesterday loyal to the king, a friend to us, and the companion of our journey, shouldst have secretly nourished such hatred in thy heart? And now, far from restraining the people from rushing to their ruin, shouldst spur them wildly on, for thy own sake, for that of thy country, return to thy senses, it is yet time. But Baldwin, with a clearer comprehension of the honor and interests of the city, which were identical with those of Sicily, answered him indignantly, and neither counselors nor citizens hesitated for a moment whether to prostitute Messina to the stranger or bid her share the freedom of the sister cities of the island. Rejecting, therefore, these deceptive arguments, Baldwin, in the presence of Matthew de Riso, solemnly renewed his oath to maintain the liberty of Sicily or perish, and exhorted him to join in support of the same sacred cause. In conclusion, he desired him to return to Herbert and offer him security for his own life and that of his soldiers, if, leaving their arms, horses, and accoutrements, they would sail direct for Aigues in Provence binding themselves not to touch anywhere on the Sicilian or other neighboring coasts. The viceroy agreed to these terms, but had no sooner traversed half the strait with two vessels than he broke them, and full of hostile designs landed in Calabria in order to join Peter of Catanzaro, who, being advised of what was going forward, had embarked before them with his Calabrians, abandoning his horses and baggage to the fury of the people. Theobald de Messi, castellan of the fortress of Matagrafoni, and Micheletto, with those who had taken refuge at Scaletta, subsequently surrendered with all their followers on the terms granted to the viceroy. The former, having embarked on board a small vessel, set sail several times, but was driven into port by contrary winds or adverse fate. The latter was shut up in the castle, and his soldiers in the palace, to protect them from the fury of the multitude. But these precautions availed not to save them. On the 7th of May the galleys returned from Palermo, bringing captive with them two of those of Amalfi, which had accompanied them in the expedition, and the crew, inflamed either by example or indignation at the unnatural and useless attempt 
in which they had been employed against their fellow countrymen loudly demanded french blood to slake their thirst for vengeance the citizens meanwhile were no less exasperated by herbert's breach of faith so that as the galley of natale pancia entering the port grazed the vessel of theobald de messi the crew on a signal from the shore sprang upon her deck seized and bound the prisoners and flung them overboard to perish on beholding this spectacle the former fury blazed up afresh within the city the mob rushing to the palace massacred the soldiers taken at scaletta the alarm bells rang the few partisans of the french concealed themselves in terror the armed and blood-stained people poured in torrents through the streets even the rulers of the city made no attempt to quell their fury for neocastro who undoubtedly shared in their counsels writes that they on the contrary advanced the more boldly in the path of revolution when they beheld the multitude so inextricably engaged end of section thirty six recording by colleen mcmahon